spoken me. I went to sleep that night without knowing that it would be the last night I ever spent in that bed at my parents' house in London. Meredith, my mum shook me awake. The room was dark, making it obvious it wasn't morning yet, or not time to get up for school anyway. Mum, I mumbled in my half-asleep state. It's time to go. Everything I told you about those stories is true. It's time for you to leave us so you can train to be a protector. Your dad and I, we've done everything we possibly can to prepare you. First Charge is the first book in the Destiny Initiative series by Amanda Steele. The book can be purchased in paperback from Amazon. The e-book can also be purchased on Kindle, Kobo, Apple Books and many others. Spoken Thank you today for tuning in to Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up at the beginning of 2016 and as of recording has over 200 sessions in our archive. Although the podcast can be heard on Anchor, iTunes, Apple, Spotify, YouTube and literally 10 or 11 other networks, the full archive can be found at Spoken Label, all one word, spokenlabel.bandcamp.com. On Bandcamp, it is set as pay what you want. So you are entitled, if you wish, you can download it or stream it for nothing. But if you're going to throw me a couple of pennies my way, it is always a term they're grateful to help me maintain the operating costs and future running costs for this podcast. Enjoy. Spoken Hi guys, Andy N, Spoken Label, back in the house. We're way across the seas today. I've not actually interviewed anybody in this area before, so this is brand new to me. And the poor lady... I'm chatting to you already, as I think my struggle with my accent tonight, so I do apologise, but she's got a fascinating story to tell, and she contacted me over matchmaker.fm, which is um, a podcast package where you, you, you get guests on, and the lady, hi, um, I'll let her introduce her in a second, but this novel's intriguing, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hi, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody, tell them who you are, Yes. and go for it. Hi, Andy. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me on your podcast. This is exciting. And welcome from Canada. Um, my name is Haiga Bohm, and I'm the author of a novel called Secrets in the Shadows. And it's a fictional historical novel. And um, I spent about 10 years writing it and researching the novel. And um, I went to a Simon Fraser University to get a creative writing certificate and that was a year-long program as well and I've also been working I worked on this novel with a mentor Betty Betty Keller and um, in a writing group and I think it's really important as a writer to belong to a good writing group it really motivates you and makes you get your work out there because you because you're accountable for someone yeah I agree I agree I agree because I run my own writing workshop with my partner and it's great because you offer feedback to people and you get feedback given you. I think it's quite a vital process. And I know you said you've been on this book for 10 years now. So it's obviously your background. Tell people about your background, first of all, because your family are originally Germany, aren't they? Correct. So I was born in 1964 in Germany in a small town called Oiskirchen. Uh, 
And um, my mom and dad were uh, children during World War II. And they ended up being in East Germany. And in 1961, they escaped East Germany literally a day before the wall was built. And they lived in a refugee camp for two refugee camps for each around six months or so. And then they settled in Oishkirchen. And then we moved to Cologne. And I have five siblings, all sisters. And where where we lived, um, there must have been an army base nearby because at nighttime they would move army tanks. And my mom, like I didn't grow up with storybooks, but my mom, she always told us her what happened to her during the war and where she was from Volau in Schlesien, they had to um, flee from the Russians coming in towards the end of the war. And so her, her memories were really quite graphic. And as a, like, I don't ever remember not having memories of her telling me the stories. And as a kid, especially for me, I was really a, a visual kid. So to me, it was so alive for her. And then at night, watching army tanks going down the street, I thought it's time for war. So in my mind, war always happened at night. And, um, you know, across the street from us, there was a war bunker. And as kids, we always wanted to go down and play in that bunker. And the neighbor would say, don't go play in there because a boy had died in that bunker. And I would always go, well, why aren't you getting him out? Because uh, I didn't really understand, you know, the finale, the, the death, like the finality of it. And so I would always wonder why, why aren't you getting this kid out? And it was kind of disturbing really as a small child, you know, I was maybe four or five, but those memories are so seared in, in my mind. And um, my oldest sisters, they were already learning about the Holocaust in school. They probably, I think they started around grade six, grade seven. They started talking about world war two, me being a lot younger. I had no concept of, of that. And and we had this little hiding place that they discovered behind a cupboard in our basement. And I would uh, they, they would say, come come in here and we would sit in the furniture. And there was around the 1930s, 1940s furniture it was like a sofa and a chair. And and um, and so my oldest sisters, they would say, this is where Jews hid. And myself, I was always wondering, well, why are Jews hiding back here and why are they living under my stairs and how come they're not living with us upstairs so my my view of world war ii was really seared at a very young age and it didn't make a lot of sense to me and i i think because of that it's always stuck with me and it's i've always wondered why are people allowing this to happen especially because to me war happened at night it was I knew it was bad because of my mom's stories. My dad never spoke about the war. And um, so I was really inspired and, you know, wondering about the people. Why are they not? Um, why aren't they stopping this? How do we stop the war? And I remember as a kid lying in bed thinking, I'm going to figure out how to stop war from happening. <laughs> I think I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few years later, definitely, aren't you? Now, yeah. quite interesting, because obviously, I, I know, obviously, you said before, uh, 
when obviously you eventually end up moving to Vancouver, didn't you? Back in yes. 10 years later, wasn't Na- it? Ni- 1974, oh, we moved yeah. to Vancouver. That's what I thought it yeah. was. And yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, we moved straight to Vancouver and, and that was interesting. We lived for the first few months at the Sylvia Hotel and it's this beautiful hotel right on the water. And uh, and it was, and I remember like it snow, it was snowing and there was the Canada geese and we had never seen ocean and snow together. So it was really magical for us as, as kids, you know, to see that. And uh so it was a nice introduction to to Canada, but then the my my first days of school, I think you know in '74 there wasn't a lot of people, especially in my elementary school, there weren't kids from other countries, and I didn't speak any English. I knew one word. I knew every everybody except for I pronounced it as every body, and I walked <laughs> in and. You know, <laughs> I've got my little pigtails and I'm wearing my checkered pants and my, um, you know, high shoes and like total 1970s. (laughs) And uh, and the kids are just kind of looking at me. What the hell? And uh, and I walked in and I go, I was so excited. And I go, hello, everybody. And and they all laughed at me. And I thought, that's a strange response. (laughs) (laughs) And. and then on the on the playground for, you know, a bit, the kids started teasing us all. I was in school with four of my other sisters. My oldest was already in high school and the kids started calling us names. Uh, you know, they started calling us Hitler, Jew killer, uh, Nazis. And it was really perplexing for me. I, I was in grade three, so I was nine, almost 10. So it was the end of grade three. And uh and I had never really heard being those words directed at me. So it really sort of started this long process of feeling um, responsible. And, and obviously, I must be responsible by, you know, kids calling me these things. And yeah, that was that that started this journey of feeling bad about myself, uh, getting a lot of low self-esteem. And it wasn't until much later I worked with a woman. Uh, I'm, I'm a hairdresser by trade. And the woman working beside me, she would always make fun of me being being German and uh so she would crack <laughs> jokes and refer it back to sort of Hogan's heroes. And, and I thought, wow, that's, that's actually being quite prejudiced, prejudiced against me. And, and I started feeling myself sort of imploding, but then I started getting angry and I started saying, you know what, that's really inappropriate. Like you saluting me, uh, the, the, the kind of comments you're giving me is is extremely inappropriate and it's not okay. And so it took a while for me to find that voice. And still to this day, uh, you know, a couple of, a little while ago, I was at a function and a woman and I said, oh yeah, my novel got published. And she goes, oh, so now you're a Nazi. And I was like, what? So, you know, you still get these comments and, and you're not quite sure how to respond to to that, you know, um, the the prejudice. 
of, of that. But writing the novel has really helped me to understand the history and the why people maybe did what they did. And also interviewing my mom, I gained a lot of um, compassion for how they raised us, you know, and it made me realize the post-traumatic stress that happens and how that's passed down and people who are traumatized, you know, my my mom was born in 1938 and my dad was born in 1933. So a lot of their childhood was really um, covered in the Nazi ideology and also, you know, seeing bodies on the street and just being traumatized, watching what was happening and then they're raising us. And so we, I have these two parents that don't even know they have post-traumatic stress, you know. Of course, yeah, of course they wouldn't. Like I said, when, when the war started in the 39, my dad, was, my dad was five when it started. My dad can just about remember it. Like, oh, wow. Well, I, yeah, so I say, your parents also, what your dad was a bit old, well, start a couple of years younger, could be old, my dad, your mum was a little bit younger. But you're finally yeah. looking at that. It's yeah, it's. I think the damage war does to people is very unstated sometimes. Like, yeah, it's, sorry, yeah, it's uh, it's generational, you know, because I think okay, so my mom was affected this way, she still can't, you know, um, if she hears loud noises, there's still a lot of things that traumatize her that she won't like, like, she ha- she can't read the my novel because it says it brings up too much for her, and um, my my um. My dad, I, I don't know his stories. He never said anything. And he, at um, 17, joined the um, French Foreign Legion and fought in Korea in a tank battalion. And he had wow. the tank was blown up. And so he's got all this these scars he had all over his body. And, yeah. you know, th- they're just so traumatized. And I think, wow, how do they get up every day and raise a family? They did the best they could, you know, and not even understanding that. And it wasn't really until I wrote the book and had conversations with my mom about it, that I realized that she too actually carried a lot of guilt um, about the, the war. And one of the conversations she had said, you know, they were fleeing from the Russians and they were in the forests and hiding and she had said, you know, what could I have done? And I thought, wow, like you were five years old. You were a child, in fact, a victim of a, a government with an ideology that was horrendous. You know, you had no bearing on it. And, and through having conversations with her, I think it's eased her and made her understand that as yeah, well. Yeah, completely. Now, I think we need to cover a bit about your dad anyway, because I know. It's a difficult topic yeah. about your dad. But yeah. um, you're up. The reason why this book started was back in 1983, originally, wasn't it? When unfortunately your father was killed, wasn't it, in Texas? You know, yes. Then. Yeah. My, my father in 1983 was murdered in Texas. And, um, and you know, for a long time, I, I didn't really understand or, or dealt with it really. And so, because I never knew him as an adult and I don't didn't get to hear his stories, I couldn't understand him. And so I thought I, I had actually written a poem and it was the first time I wrote something about the type of grief I had about losing my father. And that that poem actually turned into a short story. 
And I was, and I thought, oh, I was taking a screenwriting workshop and I thought, oh, this would make a great screenplay. But when I was learning how to do that, I realized I wanted to actually write a novel and have much more control around what was happening. And it was a way for me to explore what might have happened to my father. And, um, you know, I, I created Michael, the protagonist, based on on my father, the good parts of, of my dad, so that I could m- maybe understand why he was the way he was. He was a really complex man. You know, he, he was quite violent, but he was also really loving as well. So it, and, and he wasn't racist and it was just so com- so interesting to me. I thought, how can he be one way and then be another way? And by exploring World War II and doing the research, I got a better understanding of him, what what triggered him, you know, uh, what might have added to his his rage and his anger. That's where he let it out. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Straight away. Now, obviously, in relation to your novel of Secrets of the Shadows, we know obviously it took 10 years yes. to get it to completion. Did you find then obviously, as when you started this book, yes. looking back at it now, is it a completely different book to what your vision would be to start with? Or was the idea always there straight from the beginning? No, actually, it pretty much was right from the get-go. Um, you know, I, I wondered where I should start to explore what my father was, who my father mm-hmm. was. And so I thought, do I start it now as, as a woman going back? And should I say talk that way from my point of view? And then I thought, no, it has to truly come from him. And let's go back and explore that. And so probably the... Ha- half of the book I wrote within six months and then I found the writing group and then I, you know, went through edits and, and, and more research, but it pretty much was right from the get go for, for me, what I, what happens when I get inspired, I see the story, the beginning and the middle and the end almost right away. And, and I don't worry about trying to fill what's in between all of it because I think let the characters tell me their story, you know, and, and listen to it. And that, that was really fun. And I used, <clears throat> I, <clears throat> sorry, I also used stories of my own childhood in there that I've put, like when the children are, Michael and Wolfie are playing with the Robin Hood. We used to do that as, as little girls. We would run around the, the yard and we would take mom's sharp knives and cut the top of our underpants and pull the elastics out and then tie them around the twig and then we'd sharpen our our arrows with mom's kitchen knives and so we'd be running around the backyard shooting at each other as our underpants were falling off and we're trying to keep them out because we didn't have elastics in them anymore (laughs) and then and poor mom she was always like what happened to my kitchen knives (laughs) brilliant yeah i'm always i'm always a believer of writing you're doing novels like you're doing the main character's got to have elements of you in it. And Definitely. In case, I can see it, what you're telling me now, in the book itself. I knew there was a lot of fact and also a lot of fiction in the book. You know, you wrote a delicate line written quite dead right in the book, particularly with the two main right. characters. So, yeah, I agree with you completely on that. So, like I said, but no, brilliant, well done. Now, I know, obviously, you're looking at doing a sequel to this book, aren't you, at the moment as well? You're telling me off mic. Yes. Book. Yeah, I um, I'm about a quarter, almost halfway through uh, the second novel, and it takes place. It's a secondary character. It's actually Paula, 
And she's off to go to the uh, Ukraine as a nurse. And that was really inspired by a book that I read for research for for Secrets in the Shadows. And it's um, it's Hitler's Furies. Oh, I've heard of that book. Yeah, I have heard of that. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, it's so fascinating, Wendy Lauer. And what I really liked about it is she sort of looked at um, women and how they were complicit in World War II. And and I just thought, what an interesting concept to write from a young woman's perspective in a horrific place. The Ukraine was the open killing fields. Yeah, I've seen seen a few documentaries on that. It's disturbing so yeah it really is disturbing and i find the research really hard like depressing (laughs) but i just feel like it's something i have to do and there's all these characters that are coming out from from it you know and they're like we want to have this story told and it's really horrific so that book is a little bit slower going because i'm constantly getting um overwhelmed by the horrors of the atrocities that happened there. Oh, I can believe you with that. How long have you been writing your second book for then? Is that relatively new, is it? Uh, so, yeah, no, I've been right, working on it for the last two years. So that kind of goes to show how slow it is. <laughs> I'm but, always, but, you know, I'm I'm always a, a believer, good writing takes time. <laughs> yes. It does. As, as my mentor says, you have to let your writing compost. Yeah. No, I agree with you completely on that. It comes naturally at its own pace. I always believe in that, definitely. So I know, yeah. obviously, you obviously don't just do novels, do you? Because I know over lockdown, you've been doing some paintings, haven't you, as well? Over yes. the art side. And I'm just yeah. going to try and find your yeah. website now. <laughs> I, can't, I can't find what it was now. Tell us a bit about your art. I know there was a Pacific art project. Okay, so, lockdown, yeah, I, I love creating and story. Uh, the written word is another way of expressing art, art to me. It's just another form. It's just using the written word. And, and I enjoy painting a lot. And I just thought, you know, I was missing all the people around me. And I thought, Oh, you know what? I'm going to paint them. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm not trained or anything. So I just have fun with, with it. And it's a way for me to, to relax. And so eventually I call it my uh, COVID-19 isolation right. show. Got it. Found it. <laughs> Found it on your, yeah. your website. Man. It froze in the minute then for a minute. <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's a really good, I love the way you fact it. It's like it's the art itself. The painting you got about like, the Scotsman and Karen oh, yes, that's with an my... eye. Yeah, great pictures. <laughs> But they just feel like they're from the heart. And that's good. For me, that's good art. Thank you. Yeah, I love doing them. And, you know, they're they're like pictures of my friends and clients. And and it is it's a really nice balance, right? From going from World War II horror to something like this. And then um, I I also write poetry. That's really how I started my writing journey was I belonged to, to an online website writing group. And I just did poetry. And that's where I had written the my father's poem. And uh, I, I really enjoy doing that. What I like about poetry is I use it to try and figure out how to say something in a different way so that it isn't cliche. And what I also do is 
I have my characters write poetry. And that is sort of a way for me to understand them, their more deeper internal dialogue that they have with the, with themselves through through poetry. And that's a really interesting way of exploring your characters a further way. Yeah, it's, very, it's, very, it's very unusual, that's for sure, because as a poet, I'm a poet really myself, and I'm used to right. like, writing other people's eyes and poems and stuff, and the occasional short yeah. stories and stuff. It's, it gets you, yes. a, I think, a more in-depth look at the characters you're writing if you get them doing unorthodox things like that. Yeah, I agree yeah. completely. <laughs> Yeah, because it's always like, you know, you, you, I did, I create a backstory for them. And not necessarily will I write it in the novel, but it just gives me a better understanding of who they are. And then I'm able to, their actions line up with their internal world, you know, be, because I know, know them better. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's great. That was a great idea. Definitely. So, all that pretty well covers all my questions today, Hager, anyhow. So if people want to find out more about you, where are the best coming? They can go to my website. That's www.comhigabohm at uh, .ca. Yeah, that's so it. So <laughs> ca. That's yeah. my website. You can find lots of information there. And also on YouTube, you can just Google my name and there's you know, videos and all sorts of stuff on the web as well. I know you've got a Facebook page as well, so I found that. Yes, I author as well, oh. so. Yeah, so it's all under my name. And um, I also have an Instagram account. So there's things that I post, more personal stuff, you know. Yeah, well, it's got to be done. It's got to be done in this world. It definitely has in itself. Yes. <laughs> okay, I know we're oh. going to do a few pieces for us, a piece for us in the second half, aren't you? As an extract from your novel. So yes. What we'll do, we'll let you take a quick break, get composed, catch a breath. Okay. Catch a breath, as the Buddhist in me says. <laughs> I will Thank in you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. It's been fascinating today. Just see you all in a minute. Spokenly. Hi guys. Okay, straight over to my new friend and she's going to do an extract from her novel. Over to you. Thank you, Andy. So I'll be reading an excerpt from Secrets in the Shadows. This is a part where Michael and his best friend Wolfie, along with his classmates, are on a school trip to Berlin and they're on the train and Michael spots this young, beautiful girl. By the time we pulled into the next train station, we were all sitting quietly, and then I saw her. She was holding her Mutti's hand as they stood close together beneath the great flowing swastika banners that hung from the station. There was something so different about her. Her hair was a beautiful shade of chestnut brown, and her features were perfect. I became short of breath, and my hands felt clammy, no matter how much I wiped them on my shorts. She boarded the train, coming towards me, floating, as if she were walking on air, closer and closer. I couldn't take my eyes off her. She noticed me staring at her and softly bit her lip. As the train started up again, she bumped into the seat in front of her, and in so doing dropped her handkerchief. 
Then she floated past me as though she were in another world altogether. I leaned over to pick up her hanky. I had to talk to her. I just had to. The train rolled on, metal on metal, through rolling hills that led to quaint little villages. I lifted her hanky to my nose, the aroma of white lilies. What have you got there, Michael? Wolfie demanded. Nothing. N nothing. I stood up. I'll be back in a few minutes. We're supposed to stay in our seats. You'll get us in trouble. I'll be back in a few minutes. If her beak face asks, tell him I went to the toilets. I turned and followed the pretty girl and her mutti into the next carriage, but most of the seats there were filled with soldiers. A Sturmbanführer glanced up at me and, as I passed, Are you lost, boy? Nine, I'm looking for someone, I said as I caught a glimpse of them ahead. Oh, there they are. I waved at them, but they didn't see me. However, I was determined to speak to the beautiful girl. The Sturmbanführer turned, looked at them, then back at me. Friends of yours, boy? Nine, Herr. Then what business do you have with them? I was both annoyed and made nervous by his question. My face grew hot. Perhaps I had no business speaking to her. I glanced at them, took a deep breath. I don't know. The girl dropped her hanky and I want to return it to her. The Sturmbanführer held out his hand, motioning for me to hand it over. I reached into my pocket, pulled out the white hanky, and handed it to him. He looked at it carefully, stood up, and gave it back to me. Then he clicked his heels. Heil Hitler! I saluted. Heil Hitler! But before I finished speaking, he was already headed toward the next carriage of the train. I approached the Mutti and her daughter with my heart pounding. Smiling, I held out my hand to the Mutti. Guten Tag! Startled, the Mutti cleared her throat. <clears> throat looked over her shoulder, then back at me. She held out her hand. Guten Tag. My name is Michael Boy. I shook her hand, which was cold and delicate, almost skeletal. Her daughter kept her head down at first, and then shyly looked up. May I sit with you? The Muti nodded and gestured for me to sit on the bench across from them. I'm Helen Ingle, and this is my daughter, Erica. Frau Ingle then took her daughter's hand and held it to her breast. I nodded. I'm pleased to meet you, Frau Ingle and Fräulein Erica. After we introduced ourselves, I leaned down to pull up my socks. Frau Ingle nervously shuffled her feet to the side, trying to conceal her well-worn shoes, which were covered in mud. I sat up and gave her a smile. It is a very nice day, I said. Frau Ingle straightened her linen coat and proceeded to comment on the weather, but I kept staring into Erica's hazel brown eyes. Fortunately, the rhythmic clatter of the train was like a sweet sounding lullaby that soon put Frau Ingle to sleep, and Erica and I were free to talk. We laughed at one another's stories. I fell in love in that short hour. Erica, where are you and your Mutti going? We're going to stay with Uncle Franz and Tante Clara. They live in Berlin. My Tante is not well. I love Uncle, but he's old and has trouble looking after Tante Clara. 
He has a long gray beard and he walks with a cane. Mutti and I will help look after Tante Clara. Oh, that's good of you. Have you been to Berlin before? Nine. It's my first time. Have you? Yeah, for the Führer's 50th birthday celebration. It was quite the spectacle. Where do your relatives live? Kurfürstendamm, above the big shoe store. Then she glanced at the floor and in a hushed breath said, I don't like Herr Hitler. It was such a strange thing to say because everyone loved our Führer. But when she said nothing more, I asked, are, are you hungry? She nodded a little. I reached into my satchel and pulled out the sandwich that Mama had made for me. I gently unwrapped the clean, crisp napkin and handed her half. She took it eagerly, as if she had not eaten in days. She seemed on the verge of tears as she said, Danke. You're welcome. I dropped my satchel and leaned over to pick it up, and that's when I saw Erica put part of the sandwich into her pocket. Just then, an SS officer approached with the Sturmbanführer I had spoken to earlier. Fräulein, may I see your travel papers? He asked with what I thought was a smirk. With trembling hands, Erica handed her papers to him. He flipped through them, then stopped and said her name out loud. Erika Ingel, he said as if posing a question, then looked her over from head to toe. What a nice name. Good. All is in order. He handed the paper back to her and leaned into her, smiled and whispered and said, Jew. Erica's eyes opened wide and she clasped her hand over her mouth. At that instant, Frau Ingel awoke, terror spreading across her face. The Sturmover reached out and pulled Erica roughly to her feet, shouting, Get up, you filthy Jew! I pulled on his arm. Take your hands off her! He hit me across the face, knocking me to the floor. Then, as he pushed Erica and her mutti along the aisle toward the next carriage, he shouted back at me, Are you one of these rat Jews too, boy? You better shut your mouth. Some of the people in the carriage had become alarmed, and they stood up to see what was happening. But several of the soldiers in the car rose to their feet and pulled out their pistols, waving them about at the passengers. Sit down, they shouted. The Sturmbanführer looked down at me. Get back to your feet, boy, now. Erica turned back to look at me. Her eyes were full of fear and her voice trembled. My name is Rebecca Shapiro. I scrambled to my feet, wiping blood from my lips. Some of the passengers shook their heads at me and some pushed at me or called out, Shame! Others looked down as I walked past them. When I returned to my seat, I couldn't speak. Wolfie asked, what was all the commotion about back there? I only shrugged. At the next small village, the train stopped, and I stared out the window in horror as Rebecca and Frau Shapiro were dragged and kicked onto the train platform. The Sturmbanführer had Rebecca by the scruff of the neck now, and two soldiers held onto her mutti. Wolfie and my other classmates pressed their faces to the windows to watch, and I rose to my feet, mouth open in silent protest. 
Then I saw Rebecca struggle free and start running away, but the Sturmbannführer pulled out his Luger and shot her. She stumbled and fell and tried to get up. He shot her again. After that, she didn't move. All this time, Rebecca's Mutti was screaming and struggling to get free to run to her daughter. The Sturmbannführer nodded to the soldiers to let her go. Then he shot her dead, too. Okay, that's enough, shouted her cunning geezer. There's nothing more to see. Sit down, everyone. I sat down, not saying a word, just staring at nothing. Oh, Michael, why did they shoot them? Wolfie asked. I shook my head. It was my fault. I pulled out the hanky that Rebecca had dropped. In the corner of it, embroidered in pink thread, where the initials R.S. It was my fault. My fault. I plunged my hand and the hanky back into my pocket. The train started up again, and the grinding and turning of the wheels, metal on metal, lulled me into the world of untold truths. My fault. My fault. My fault. And I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Andy. Wow. <laughs> great part, great way to finish off there, definitely with that. Like, thank you. And what's that happens next? <laughs> as, as I say, don't you? So that's a great way. I like you do what you do. If you're reading bits out of books, if you leave the reader wanting more, as you've done there. Yes. Great. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. Been a pleasure thank today. You. Hang around. I need to speak to my my friend. Been a pleasure today, Hager. So thank you again. Thank you. Really enjoyed thank it today. Thank you so much, Andy. And my book, Secrets in the Shadows, you can get it off of Amazon and order it at your local bookstore. If you want yes. to know what happens after. Of course, yes. <laughs> I know. And you, of course, they're all the Hager knows. Well, obviously, anybody else, get the book and find out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> thank you, Dan, again, Hager. So this is Andy. Thank you. Signing out. Stay safe, everybody, and stay up. Spoke on me.